This is a podcast of Forest Lake Baptist Church Sermons. If you'd like to know more about our church, visit our Facebook page or our website at flbc.org.au. We hope you're blessed by this message. Father, thank you for the theme of this morning's worship. That whether in the highs and lows of life, we praise you, we find joy in you, we find peace in you. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you are, for all that you have done, for all that you are doing in our world and all that you will do. Thank you, Jesus. So often in the Old Testament, particularly, rain is given as a sign of God's blessing on his people. And even if it wasn't raining, we would say we are well blessed. You have given us life. You have given us forgiveness. You have adopted us as your children. You have given us your love, your peace, your power. Your spirit dwells in us. And not just individually, but corporately as your people. We are so blessed. And we're also reminded of scripture. To whom much is given, much will be required. So Lord, I pray that we would take our place in this world of being a blessing to others that freely we have received, freely we will give. We're sorry for the times we don't love our neighbour as we ought. We don't love you as we ought. We have sinned against you in thought, word and deed. We've done things we shouldn't have done and we haven't done things we should have done. And yet you are faithful to forgive. We are so blessed. Father, we pray for those in our church today who are unwell. We pray for those who are struggling with uh, other issues as well. And on this wet day, we, we do see empty seats for people who cannot get out in this weather. We thank you for the internet that they can join us online. We are well blessed. And Father, at a time when our media wants to constantly tell us how badly off we are, I pray for us as your people that we would walk through life with a sense that we are blessed. We are your children, as that song just said. And if we had nothing else in this world, that would be enough to say we are blessed. Thank you, Jesus. We pray for your church around the world today who will be persecuted for the name of Jesus. And we pray for ourselves as we open your word today. Lord, we want to hear from you. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Christ's name. Amen. Back in the late 90s and the early 2000s, as the internet was starting to uh, come in, people started to think, what is the result of the internet going to be? Is it going to, what's going to happen as this uh, takes hold? And there was this quote that I'm going to put on the screen from a guy who was the head of the MIT Media Laboratory in 1997 named Nicholas Negroponte. And he said this, I've never seen people miss the scale of what's going on as badly as they are doing it right uh, now predicting the internet would do no less than bring world peace by breaking down national borders. He said 20 years from now, so before this, 
He said children would, who are used to finding out about other countries through the click of a mouse are not, not going to know what nationalism is. The internet was going to mean there was no more war. There was going to be all peace. Isn't it great that that happened? The internet was going to mean there was going to be no more world poverty. Hallelujah, that happened. Hang on a minute. There was this idea at the turn of the century that we were entering a phase, as particularly in the Western society, that everything was going to get better. The internet would break down barriers. The internet would open up our understanding of one another. Some predicted the end of religion. Because as we started to get to know one another, we wouldn't even feel like we need to be religious anymore. We'd just understand one another. And isn't it good to see that uh, religious uh, tribalism has ended as well? It hasn't happened. And yet one of the great promises of Scripture is that God cares about the whole world. So over the last two weeks, we have looked at God cares for the whole person and God cares for the whole church. But we miss sometimes that God's plan of salvation is not just for his people, but God has a plan for the whole world. And today we're going to look at one of these great truths of Scripture that God cares for. He loves the whole world. And it comes from one of the great prophecies of the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. And it says this, the vision that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now, who was Isaiah? Well, he was the son of Amos. Who was Amos? No idea. We don't know who Isaiah was. We don't know why God chose him. We don't know why he suddenly got this ministry. But God chose this apparently unknown guy to speak some amazing prophecies into the world. Some people have called the book of Isaiah the fifth gospel because he talks so much of the coming Messiah that, is, that he is the most quoted of the Old Testament prophets in the New Testament. And this is what he was given to say. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us about his ways so that we may walk in his paths for instruction will go out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will settle disputes among the nations and provide arbitration for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning knives. Nation will not take up the sword against nation and they will never again train for war. House of Jacob, come and let's walk in the Lord's light. What makes this prophecy, which is pretty famous in many places, in fact, verse 4 about uh, beating their swords into plowshares is the de facto motto of the United Nations. It's a well-known thing. What makes it more compelling and more stark is everything that goes around chapter 2, which is prophecy against Israel. God is saying to the people of Israel in chapter 1 and the rest of chapter 2, you have forsaken me, you do all your religious duties, but you don't care for the poor. You do all your temple stuff, but there's injustice. You do all your sacrifices, but the scales are not in balance. In the, right in the middle of that, about him saying to Israel, you have forsaken me, you have forsaken my purpose for you. He says, but I'm going to change it one day. You see, when the people of God don't get the mission right, the rest of the world pays the price. And that is still true today. 
We know through history, we know through history of revivals that when the church is healthy, when the church is flourishing, when the church cares for the poor, cares for the weak, uh, cares for those and speaks up for those who have no voice, the whole of society flourishes. In the earliest days of the church, there was a guy named Pompey and he was sent to investigate the church by the emperor and he wrote a letter we still have it back to the emperor and one of the things he says about the christians is this i don't understand all their ways they keep talking about a guy named jesus but what i do know is this wherever the church flourishes the whole town flourishes when the people of god understand the mission of god is in the hands of ordinary people everyone does better and the Israelites, right from the earliest days, were given a mission. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, the Lord says to Abraham, who was Abram at this point, go out from your land, your relatives and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So the mission of Israel was not just to be Israel. The mission was to bless the whole world. And so when God now writes through Isaiah to his people, he's effectively saying to them with this prophecy, because you have missed the mark, others are suffering, but I will make it right. And I wonder how many times if we look in the history of the church, when we have forgotten as Christians and churches that we're ultimately not here for ourselves. Those around us have suffered. Someone has said the church is the only organization on earth that exists for people who are not yet its members. See, we are not here just for Forest Lake Baptist. We are here to be a blessing to this community and to this nation around us. And I see when we get it right, when we when we understand that the love of God flows through us to the world around us, whole families get blessed. And so Paul, so God says through Isaiah to them, I will make the, in the last days the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, come let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And what does he care about? Verse 4, he will settle disputes among the nations and both provide arbitration for many people. God actually cares about justice. Our world is unjust. It's not fair. It's not fair that nations, because they have more power, can just suppress other nations. It's not fair that the wealthy can oppress the poor. And it would be easy to look around the world and say, oh, well, that's not fair. But, you know, we're in the top 2% of the world and we are in Australia. That's not our problem. But God does care. And he cares about giving a voice to those who have no voice. And he cares about his people speaking up for justice. And it's, just, it's not just Isaiah saying this. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, he says, I've told you what I require of you, O man, to act justly. Love mercy and walk humbly with your God. Can you imagine the day is coming when God will settle this? 
and there'll be no more injustice. There'll be no more poverty. There'll be no more corruption. Our world needs to know this promise. And yet it's easy for us as Christians to go, yes, Christian leaders need to stand up more. Christian others need to stand up more. Others need to do more. But we all have a part to play. We could all speak up. Because the truth is politics is downstream from culture. And we all have a part to play. And if I'm really honest, one of the things I noticed this week, this last week, was how so often Christians do not listen to other people. Because one of the first steps we need to take in seeing justice done in the world is being able to see things from other people's perspective. And this week we had Australia Day and there was the debate again this year about whether the date of Australia Day should be changed. And I was amazed to see Christians online, and it's always online, right? The only way to see it as a Christian is this. You must see it this way if you're a Christian. And then on the other side, you must see it if, you see, if you're a Christian, you must see it this way. Well, both can't be right, can they? And this is, this is where I think Christians have an amazing opportunity to show justice. And I would encourage you that if you honestly believe that this is the only way you can see it as a Christian, maybe go talk to a Christian who sees it another way. Go and listen to someone who doesn't see it your way. See, the problem with that we have now with the way uh, things are created, the way the media is done, the way uh, social media algorithms is, are done, is once you show a preference for a particular viewpoint, it will keep feeding you with that same viewpoint. It will keep reinforcing you. Why? Because it's good for them. Because if you're on one of their platforms and you keep getting the stuff that already agrees with you, you're going to keep reading it, right? It's good for them. But what if you go and actually talk to someone who disagrees with you? And even on the question of the 26th of January, I used to hold a certain view and I went and listened to a, another guy who holds a different view. And I'm not going to even tell you which way it is. Because you're all wondering, well, which way does Mark say? I'm not telling you. But when I heard his heart and I heard what it means to him, my view started to change. We all have an opportunity in our workplaces, in our schools, in our families, in our neighbourhoods to actually be voices for justice, even in a little way. There are three steps I think we can take. The first is listen to the heart of the person, not just the words. Listen to why they're saying it. The second is don't assume God agrees with you just because you think that way. God may have a different idea. Just because you think it doesn't mean God does. And the third thing is go beyond those who agree with you. But when we start to do that, when we start to see things from the other side, when we start to listen to people, suddenly barriers start coming down. Injustice can be broken because we see things from the other side. It's always amazed me 
how quickly we can jump into camps of people who all agree with us. And it seems to me our world is becoming more tribal, not less tribal. But God's view is this. Chapter 2, verse 4, He will settle the disputes among the nations and provide arbitration for many people. We can be those people now. We can be the people who show understanding now. Because the result is, he says, they will beat their swords into plows and their spears into pruning knives. Nation will not take up the sword against nation and they will never again train for war. That statue there is a statue of the United Nations building. They thought the idea that if they created the United Nations, if we could all just get everyone in a room together, then we'd all understand each other and that'd be the end of war. No, sorry. It hasn't worked out that way. But there is a day coming when Jesus himself will bring an end to war. There is a day coming when Jesus himself will put an end to it. And there will be peace. And not just peace as we understand it in this world where we would say there, be, there is peace between Ukraine and Russia if, they, if Russia stopped bombing Ukraine. No, no, God's peace is more than just stop bombing. God's peace is a word in Hebrew called shalom, in Greek called arene. And it means not just the end of conflict, but it means fulfillment, flourishing, joy, and peace. It would be like Russia and Ukraine, not just stopping bombing, but saying, hey, let's be friends. Now, I don't know about you, but that to me sounds a pretty foreign idea at the moment. But the Bible tells us there will be a day that nations who had formerly been enemies will be brothers and sisters. God's going to do it. And what he calls us to do is to be those people now, bringing peace into our world. I see it in foster care. When foster carers bring young people into their homes and say, I will be that shalom for you. You've only known uh, dis disappointment. You've known hurt. I will be that shalom for you. I've seen it when people open their homes and say to someone who is not like them, come on in for a meal. I will be that shalom for you. That person in the workplace where there's conflict and there's disagreement between workers and the, there's that Christian person who's able to show there's a different way, team. I will bring shalom for you. See, so often in church, we care so much about people's souls. But God cares about the whole person, we said a couple of weeks ago. And he cares about peace. And it would be easy to say, well, that's good for Isaiah. That, that's good for that prophecy. And it'll be great one day when Jesus comes again and brings all about. But God calls us to that mission now. See, one of the questions we have to ask when we read this passage is, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established at the top of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. And we say, well, when is that fulfillment? And some people say it was when Jesus died and rose again and he died in Jerusalem and, he, uh, and the nations came at Pentecost. Some people say, no, 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 it's when Jesus comes again and he will come and stand upon Jerusalem and all the nations will obey him. And I say, why do I have to choose? 
because it was when he went to the cross and he made atonement for our sin, when he took our uh, sin on himself, that he opened the way for the Spirit to come and make us peacemakers in this world. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said. And so now we are a foretaste as his people. But there is a day coming when he will come again. And Revelation tells us in chapter 7, I looked and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people and language which no one could number. Standing before the throne, before the Lamb, and they were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Did you hear it? We have an opportunity as Christians to be a foretaste of that day. Church has an opportunity to be a foretaste of that day. Someone has said, the church is not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners. We have an opportunity to be that. Friends, as Forest Lake Baptist Church, we don't just exist for Forest Lake Baptist Church. We don't just exist so that our church will get bigger and we can be happier and we can be so very self-satisfied. And there are times, I think, in the life of our church, and I've been here 18 years now, where we have seen God do amazing things where he's taken us from being a small and struggling church. In fact, the first meeting I went to when I came to the church 18 years ago was, should this church even continue or should we shut the doors? And we've seen him do amazing things. But we would be mistaken, friends, if we stopped at that and said, well, look at us, aren't we doing well? When even in this suburb alone, there are 20,000 people who don't yet know Jesus. We don't exist for ourselves. We exist to tell more people of the love of Jesus. And that's why as a church, we, when we support people who are doing mission overseas, we don't just support people who are only just telling people about Jesus with words, but we also support people who are telling them with words and deeds, like Dan and Becky's store, in Southeast Asia, like the Manarakazi is showing people how to sow in Africa so that they can then have, earn a living and grow as families. It's why we support chaplains in schools who are giving kids hope. The world needs the hope of Jesus. And it's why I'm so pleased this year that the phrase that Queensland Baptists are saying they want to see multiplied across all Queensland Baptist churches this year is that we're not just going to show the words of Jesus to this world, but we're going to show the ways, the works and the words of Jesus this year. That's the church. And so Isaiah says, house of Jacob, come, let's walk in the Lord's light. So the question for us as Christians, for us at this church, what does it look like for us to walk in his light? What does it look like for us to work together, to grow together, to, to know Jesus so well together that it cannot help but overflow to the world around us because our world needs it? Well, I think we saw it a couple of months ago when a young person at youth group wrote this. I always feel on the outer at school, like people don't understand me or accept me. 
I try to do things to make my friends like and accept me. I even try to be really kind to them and do nice things for them, but they still don't like it. They don't like me. But I like it here at Pursuit Youth because I feel safe and liked. I don't know how everyone else feels in the group, but I feel safe and cared for here at Youth. I'm so glad to have this group. See, it's not just about us. It's about the people who don't yet know Jesus. That we can show them his ways, his work, and his words. And so we're asking you this year to join the team. We're asking you to join with us in serving and showing people the shalom of God just in the way we do life together. The way we encourage one another on our front lines to go and show Jesus in our workplaces, in our schools, in our homes. And if you would like to be a part of that, then use the response card and say, yes, I'm in. I want to be that person this year. Over the last three weeks, we've looked at God cares for the whole person. God cares for the whole church. And God cares for the whole world. That's what we believe as a church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you care for this world. Thank you that you care for people. Thank you you care not just for our souls, but you care for our physical needs. You care for our relationships. You care for every part of our lives. And you don't just care for us, you care for those who don't yet even recognize you as Savior and Lord. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we as a church will never lose the understanding that we don't just exist for ourselves. We exist for the people who don't yet know Jesus. To hold up his name in this community, to hold Jesus up to this community and hold this community up to Jesus because you care for the whole world. Thank you that there is a day coming when war will cease, poverty will cease, corruption will cease, and there will be shalom. Help us to be the people of shalom now wherever we go. In Christ we pray. Amen.